punctuates it, and he creates his own offensive chance with that motor. Krejci to Coyle, and the Leafs are moved again! Hey there, welcome back to the Nesson Bruins podcast. I am Nesson.com's Logan Mullen, joined once again by Nesson.com's Mike Cole and Lauren Campbell. Folks, what's up? Hello. Happy to have some hockey, real regular season hockey to talk this week. Indeed, regular season hockey to talk about this week. Just one game uh, since the last time we met, uh, which is the, the nature of the very bizarre schedule that the Bruins have. Uh, last time we met was six days ago, and since then they have played one game. That was Saturday, 3-1 win over the Dallas Stars, and now uh, they had a bit more of a layoff and won't play again until this upcoming Wednesday, which today is what, Tuesday, October 19th, so that is tomorrow uh, when they play the Philadelphia Flyers, two days later against the Buffalo Sabres, and two days after that against the San Jose Sharks. So a bit more normalcy returning to um, the Bruins' schedule now, but it's been a very weird start, especially when you consider that the NHL season at this point is now seven days old, and the Bruins are responsible for one of the many games so far. Uh, but because there's really not a whole lot to go off of, we, you know, found it best to just have a bunch of knee-jerk reactions and make sweeping generalizations and assumptions about the season based on about 60 minutes of hockey, as any uh, responsible group of podcasters would. Uh, So why don't we start with Mike today. Mike, uh, any big overarching thoughts after watching one game of Boston Bruins hockey? I continue to be right. Um, The goalie situation, I think, is where I'll start. Uh, Swayman looked awesome. The fact that Swayman, I mean, when we talked last, they had not named Swayman the starter, correct? Or the, they had not. So, all right, Jeremy Swayman started the first game of the season over the guy that you just paid all that money to. Further validated my opinion the entire time, and then in the Saturday night, he comes out and, and plays very well. I mean, I don't twenty eight shots. It is what it is. Uh, he stopped twenty seven of them. Um, yeah, I, I, from a from a non patting myself on the back standpoint, I will say that his play stood out in that he looked just the same as he did last year, and just the same as he did last spring. So I think that's very encouraging. That um, you know he didn't come out and fall on his face again. This is one game, so it's kind of hard to sit there and say like this is how he's going to be for the entire season. But I thought it was an encouraging step in the right direction for him. And I will say on the goalie thing, I thought it was kind of interesting slash telling. Um, slash encouraging that after the game, they, you know, when everybody skates out, him and Olmark, they're like buds. They are two peas in the pod. They did this big thing where they threw their arms in the air toward each other. Uh, it does not seem to be any sort of resentment on, on Olmark's part. Uh, it does not seem to be any sort of, uh, uh, you know, looking over the shoulder from, from Swayman. So I'm going to be very locked into how they do the, you know, how they split the goaltending moving forward, especially with such a weird start to the season. But I thought so far so good for for the real number one, Jeremy Swayman. Well, so we know part of that right now because Bruce Cassidy said today that it'll be Swayman again on Wednesday because they liked what they saw. And then it'll be Olmark Friday against the Sabres' old team. Uh, He said that no matter what, they were going to uh, each get a game during this upcoming trip. I, I don't know at what point a guy would basically grab hold of the clear cut number one job. Like, I don't think we'd be having that conversation until 
at the earliest, like Thanksgiving. The number one doesn't even really exist. Like it probably, I don't think they're going to have, I mean, I think it'll be fairly clear, but like, I don't think it's going to be, I think this is a, uh, like a 50, 30 split at the, the most lopsided, you know, what I mean? or 50, 30, Jesus. Um, I meant that in terms of games, but that's even that's wrong. So that is uh, mathematically incorrect. Yeah. I, I think it's going to be pretty close. 55-45. Okay. Lauren? Uh, yeah, I mean, I like Jeremy Swayman as well, but to not be redundant, I'm going to go with Charlie Coyle. Really stood out to me. Again, it's one game, but I think that he showed a lot of comfort. I don't know if it's just being moved up to the second line, taking on more responsibility. I don't know if it's, you know, because his knee was hindering him the last few seasons. Could be a combination of both, but I thought he looked really strong and really comfortable between Hall and Smith there. And I really liked his entire game. He was fast. He was keeping up with the pace of play and didn't really seem like that second line was going to be an issue for him. Again, one game can't really, you know, hang our hats on anything just yet, but I'm pretty comfortable with what I saw Saturday night. Uh, I have two things, I guess, and don't mind my voice probably shattering the bass and wherever you're listening to this and because I have bad allergies right now. But uh, one was Derek Forbert didn't look too bad. <clears throat> I thought it was a very good line from Bruce Cassidy that he said that generally if you can't really notice what Derek Forbert's doing, he's doing the right thing. I am on the record as having been quite skeptical about putting him with Charlie McAvoy, but I guess it does make sense in a way that he is very familiar with playing that supporting role. And as long as he's not bringing down Charlie McAvoy, then I think that's all that you can really ask for from him. And the other is the third line. Uh, obviously they got the goal and Jake DeBrusque looked fine and everything. DeBrusque and Haller are going to play with a ton of pace. And I was relatively surprised with how well Nick Foligno kept up with them. Uh, I was I guess a little skeptical about how he was going to fit in with them, but so far it seems like a pretty good fit. Uh, that is a line that obviously will have a huge impact on how far the Bruins go, basically, uh, because if they are clicking with the way the second line seemed to click on opening night, then that could be uh, a very potent top nine for the Bruins. Mike, you look like you have some. Yeah, I just want to, <clears throat> I mean, I don't know if we're going to get into it, but, you know, McAvoy signs the, the extension. I think that's the other big takeaway from the week. And I just want to point out, when you're talking about Forber, I was looking at the numbers from the other night. I haven't really dug into them too deep. McAvoy, I, I mean, had two minors. Still team high, 24 minutes of ice time. Uh, led the, yeah, led the team. Well, tied for the team lead and shots on goal with five. I think that's something – I want to actively pay attention to moving forward is that they've really encouraged him to shoot the puck more. And I wonder if playing with Forbert helps him in that regard. I wonder if it's something where he is just a more conscious effort to, to put pucks on net, but for him to put five on net and then he attempted, am I misreading this? No. Yeah. He attempted uh, four more. So, like, he, you know, nine shot attempts from Charlie McAvoy. I think he took the – if there was one criticism of his game from that coaching staff, I have to imagine it would be that. So, that was encouraging to see if you're the Bruins. That's something I'm going to be watching moving forward to. Well, I would think that the Forbert-McAvoy thing is similar to Carlo and Riley, <clears throat> excuse me, offensively, if for no other reason than the fact that 
if forward is a complete liability offensively, even not a liability, but like a non-factor where, you know, he's not going to shoot and he's only going to pass. Then I think teams will better be able to key in on Charlie McAvoy. But like what we saw with Brandon Carlo last year is he became a lot more effective of a defenseman once he started shooting more and teams actually had to pay attention to him. And I, I think if you look Mike, the uh, Carlo and Riley each had four shots on net too. Uh, during that game and so last season I think the Bruins hadn't really transitioned out of the the Tory Krug mindset where it's like well if we want offense from our defensemen like that's what Tory Krug's there for last year the only guy that really shot with regularity uh, without looking at the numbers to me was like Saboral he was the only one that I felt was really uncorking shots all the time so they need a lot more of that especially each line has those guys now with that will play in front of the net like like coil will do it for the second line yeah. Felino will do it for the third line pretty much everyone will do it for the fourth line regardless of who's in there uh so they they need way more offensive nothing else shot attempts from the defense correct me if i'm wrong too that was a, a point of contention in the playoffs especially late where they they were struggling to get pucks on the net from the blue line um I mean, you know, I'm not going to sit here and compare game one of the season to, to anything that really happened in the playoffs. But again, like that feels maybe it's a point of emphasis coming out of training camp. And, you know, we can only go off of the 60 minutes we saw. And, I, you know, it seems like the message through one game got through. So that's encouraging. I guess. I don't know. <laughs> Try not to overreact to anything. Okay. They, had, they had 40 shots on goal the other night. It's like the Corsi Bruins are back, baby. The Corsi Bruins are back. The, the uh, second line number, I think, was 17 to 6, and 14 of the shots got through. The blender. Yeah. I mean, you don't even, like, this is going to be, this line is going to be why I could never coach hockey, but they don't even need to be that great of shots, right? Like, they just need to be shots that, like, kind of get through, like, at least get most of the way towards the net. I think last year the Bruins – defensemen that they had a crop of defensemen that was it was like Clifton Zaboral and maybe Grizzlick had the highest percentage of shots getting blocked of like anyone in the league uh, and so you know you obviously aren't always going to get grade a chances from the blue line but if it's enough to where it's at least getting the puck in deeper creating some sort of mayhem in front of the net then I don't know what you know, what the gripe could be like, a, no excuse Carlo or Forbert or even Clifton can't do that. That was like a bit of a maybe overlooked Chara, you know, thing yeah. that they missed is that he was really good those last few years. Not, you know, everybody looks at him with the slap shot, but like he had that, that little like snapshot type thing, like that never got more than six inches off the ice. That's aimed directly for just directly at a, uh, a pad like trying to get a, a rebound in front so like you know it doesn't have to be picking corners from the blue line you know there are ways to, to either get you know get pucks in front for deflections or second chance rebounds on on blockers and things like that so since we're on the defense topic let's dive into the charlie mcavoy uh contract he's getting a eight-year deal uh, nine and a half million per. It's the same contract that Seth Jones got. Uh, he's making a little more than Kill McCarr, a little more than Miro Haskinen, uh, you know, not Eric Carlson money, but still a very good deal for Charlie McAvoy. Uh, perhaps a better deal for the Bruins, who got a 
elite, probably top five defensemen for under 10 million a year with the way the market was trending, uh, then they were wise to get something long-term done. Uh, so why don't we start with Lauren this time, initial takeaways on that deal. Yeah, it's great. Um, I'm honestly surprised they got them, you know, slightly under 10 mil, but um, very good deal for both sides. I think that getting it done before the season started was crucial because then obviously McAvoy stock would just rise throughout the year and they'd be on paying him a little bit more than he's making now, but they get, like you said, an elite defenseman, they get him through his prime and somebody who's putting himself in the Norris trophy conversation. And you can get this guy, Seth Jones money, really. And he's only going to get better. He's proven that you know, he can really handle whatever's thrown at him when he had to kind of essentially take over the blue line from Chara and Krug. And he's doing just that. And he's only 23 or 24. So, you know, they will have this guy through his twenties into his early thirties. And then I can't imagine, obviously he'll decline a little bit as he gets older, but just the, the poise he's shown, he's going to get more time on that uh, first power play unit. Just a very, very good deal all around for both McAvoy and the Bruins. I don't really have an opinion, which it sounds more dismissive than I intend it to, which like it's market value. I I don't know. It's a hard cap and there. The, the market has been very much set for this entire off season, right? Like did anybody expect Charlie McAvoy to get 6 million a year? No. Did anybody really expect him to get 12 million a year? No. Like this is, this is pretty much what we all expected. I think maybe a little bit on the lower end. So it's team friendly, but who is he going to be 31 when the deal is up? he can still cash in like, but yeah, you know, it's going to change and you're going to have TV money coming in the ESPN and TNT deals that the, the, the cap's going to go up. He is, you know, this is life set money. And then you go get your next generation to family and his next deal. So it, it works for everybody involved. I think, um, I think it's, it's interesting that finally somebody blew through that, that top level of, uh, uh, you know, AAV on the Bruins and, I think it's it's no coincidence that the first one to do it is McAvoy, who is clearly the captain and waiting behind uh, Bergeron, assuming you know Marshan and him are tied at the hip. I mean, that's maybe Marshan is a, a bit of a, a stopgap between the two, but like this is the guy taking you into the next uh, the next era of Bruins hockey, and I think this is a deal that's gonna and when it's all said and done is gonna look similar to the to the uh, Bergeron deal, where it's like wow, yeah, this guy's still signed at a manageable cap number for four more years. When he's like halfway through or whatever. So <clears throat> I don't know. Like I said, I guess it's hard to find any real faults with it. It's hard to find any real gravy with it. So it just kind of is what it is. It's it's what I expected. And you know, I guess great job for everybody for making it happen. Yay. <laughs> well stated, Mike. <clears throat> uh, I mean, it's it's weird because this is where I get curious about what the negotiations are like and what teams and agents and players value because. I sit there and I think Seth Jones stinks. Maybe not stinks. But it, I mean, but like, when did Seth Jones sign? Uh, like a month ago. Like, I don't know. Like, you projecting still? I don't know. I, I think that's overstating a little bit, but sorry, I interrupted. Go on. No, that's okay. First time for everything. Um, yeah. But, I mean, I, a closer comparison is Zach Wierenski, who got like, you know, $2 more than McAvoy did. Uh, but it's so all over the map what some of these guys get that, like, if I'm the Bruins and I'm trying to at least drive the price down a little bit, you can sit there and say, well, you know, look at what 
uh, what's a good example? Uh, look at what like Roman Yossi makes. Like, you know, that brings him down to nine. Look at what Kill McCarr is going to make. That brings him down to nine. But at the same time, Charlie McAvoy and his agent are probably sitting there saying, Oliver Ekman Larson and Jacob Truba and all these guys are making eight, 8.2. And you mean to tell me I'm not significantly better or more impactful than them? And then, like, if, for me, honestly, I feel like the Seth Jones contract could have torpedoed the entire market uh, because there are myriad numbers that prove that Seth Jones is not worth the money that he's getting paid by the Blackhawks. And, like, he's still a quote unquote high end defenseman. So, to a degree, that's the going rate, but he he got above that. And Charlie McAvoy is a far better player. Zach Wierenski is a far better player than Seth Jones. Um, so, I don't know, maybe they did push for something where they could say, oh, well, you know, maybe he belongs a little bit closer between Wierenski and Dowdy. But, I mean, and that's basically a, a roundabout way of saying. So half a million dollars. Yeah. But these guys scratch and claw for all this stuff. These this stuff is a grind. Like, not to overstate it. Like, yeah, it is half a million dollars, but it's still, you know, when, when you're trying to set your own market and set a precedent, you're not just gonna bend at the knee. When you can say, that, I guess it's half a million dollars over eight years. So. Yeah. So I mean, not not to keep bagging on Seth Jones, but it's like, yeah, if I think I am a demonstrably better player than Seth Jones, then I'm probably asking for more than just half a million more than him uh but that's just me and this, i'm also not in line for a nine and a half million dollar payday it is true where it's like i mean they didn't just get nine and a half out of thin air or they didn't just go seth right. jones. They, they also didn't just go seth jones signed for nine and a half so like so let's just do nine and a half like negotiations have been ongoing for quite some time i would imagine and like they were probably right at a number around there anyway so like I don't know. It is. It's interesting is to, when something like that happens with the Seth Jones thing, where it's like, uh, I don't know. Like we've been talking about this number for all summer, and now you just want to change it just because the Blackhawks did something stupid. Um, but like that's the way it works sometimes. So that like, is it, the yeah. way it works. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's it, it designed that way. And I mean, if I'm Charlie McAvoy, I'm. I would be glad that the timing worked out the way it did because a lot of guys on their more recent extensions have gotten cheaper deals from previous off seasons because there's so much uncertainty around what was going to happen. I mean, a good example is like Thomas Shabbat, like he's making 8 million, which is fine. But like, I would say Thomas Shabbat is a comparable player to Charlie McAvoy. Uh, Aaron Eckblatt is making like seven and a half million. And that contract um, wasn't, it was a different era, I guess. I mean, even if a few years is an era, um, than the McAvoy thing but like it, it's just so hard to pinpoint some of that stuff and you know negotiations can just get so nasty right so like you can we could sit here and make the case that well Charlie McAvoy hasn't even been a finalist for a Norris so how are you gonna pay him money that supersedes what a lot of uh, guys who have actually won Norris trophies or been multi-time finalists for Norris trophies have gotten but it's just you know it's weird. This is why none of us have law degrees and aren't sitting in on those uh, discussions. Um, so who's next? Like what? I guess Bergeron's probably year to year, right? DeBrusque is up next off season. So you have to do something about DeBrusque. Um, but I think it might be, well, actually not this upcoming off season, but the following, right, is David Posternock. Uh, and so 
now the the trend is shifting a little bit, especially if Bergeron goes year to year. So uh, the Pasternak one is kind of what you have to turn your attention to now. Yeah, especially like with the contract he's on now, it's so team friendly and you have to imagine he's going to get some sort of pay bump and it'll be really interesting to see how they handle that because they will have Jake DeBrusque, they will have Bergeron and I'm sure, you know, I'm saying I'm sure like I know what's going to happen, but you know, I feel like Bergeron would take a team friendly deal to remain in Boston. I think that he's he wants to accomplish a lot with this team even though he's now 36 years old and that window obviously is getting closer to being shut, but I think if it meant keeping Pashnok in Boston for longer, there will be ways to go about it. But given the Bruins history of not being able to come to terms on whether it's term or money, uh, very interested to see how this whole Pashnok thing plays out, whether it's this offseason or the next one before his contract expires. Is Bergeron going to make less on his next deal? He has to, right? I think yeah, so, so like if he goes down to like – If you cut it in half. Four and a half. Even like you shave two million off, and then you get, you know, there's a way to get Pasternak to ten million. The cap's gonna go up. Like I don't know, I, I don't know. That Pasternak deal's got to be ten million, right? Like goals cost money, and he is, you could argue, him a more valuable player in a way than Charlie McAvoy. Like if, if I'm Pasternak's agent, I'm probably saying, all right. So the starting point then is ten, especially since the Leafs ruined the forward market. So that, that's a weird one. And the other thing, too, is he signed that last deal. That was an RFA deal. Um, so yeah. that's the one that took him into unrestricted free agency. So it's not like there was a bidding war for, for him. So you mean to tell me that if David Pasternak gets to market, that they're not going to have a ton of teams saying, here's 10, 10 and a half, 11. Like, he, if he continues at the scoring pace that he has the last few seasons, like, he'll, he'll get those kinds of offers. Yeah, ten and a half feels like I'm just looking at now. Taves and Kane are making ten and a half. Obviously, that's like, but those were signed so long. Ago. It's that's the other thing too. Is like how much? Yeah, if you like those, yeah. But like, I don't know. Has Pasternak done what Kane has had done when Kane signed that deal? Like, not even close, in my yeah. opinion. Um, so you know, where does inflation come into play and? compared to the market and then it gets confusing and it gets convoluted, but I agree with you. Yeah. Like that's, that gets the market. You lose them probably unless he really wants to be in Boston because just somebody's going to get drunk and, and throw a ton of money at him. Um, you can so, get a Panarin deal. Yeah. That, right. What is that? 11 and a half, 11, six. So um, yeah, I, yeah, they have, it's just, it's, there's so many unknowns though. Like to, to, I guess the original point was, you have no idea how long, like this could be Bergeron's final season. I don't know. Yeah. And you know, I this don't could, think that's off the table. No, I don't think it's likely either, but it's, it is there. Like Marshawn, is he going to look for another big deal at some point too? But I, I don't know. I like, if I can lock up um, McAvoy, Pasternak and like Swayman for 20 million total, I think I'd be doing pretty well and feeling pretty good about myself. Yeah, for not, the next like three years, right? whenever like Swayman gets a, like, his first deal, or you know what I mean? Yeah, um, it's weird because I mean, it's just it's the changing of the guard, right? And like, you know, everybody was so afraid to go over 
um, you know, the Bergeron, the Marchand deals, like David Krejci was without question a $7 million player. And he was like, you know, just lambasted by the fan base for making $7 million a year. It's like, do you not see what's going on with every other team in the league? Like the Leafs are spending $35 million on three forwards. Um, oh, I was going to make a point. Um, the Bruins have done pretty well. Like Sweeney's done pretty well. I mean, clearly it was like, you look at the Marshawn, Pasternak and Bergeron deals. And now the, the McAvoy deal, like he does not get carried away by what other teams are doing or, or he just has the team friendliest players of all time. It's, you know, one or the other. Yeah. I I think it's probably close to the latter, honestly. Like I think there's like some Brady to like what Bergeron brings to the table in terms of like, I took this amount of money to play here. I'm the man. You're going to want to play with me. This is a good place to play. Is that worth a million dollars a year to you? And the answer has been fairly obvious for a while now, but like, I guess there's not an, I don't think there's an overextension anywhere save for maybe coil where you're like, you got burned on that one. And even coil, the jury's out on that still. Yeah. The jury's definitely out on that one. The thing is, they can if if Bergeron retires, even if he doesn't, and there's this new normal with the Bruins where guys will get paid their market value. Like the, the Bruins have got to draft better. Like they have to be better around the margins with their entry, their guys on entry level deals and on cheap deals because they historically have you know had to go out to get some of those guys. And like you know, the, there's a certain layer of adding depth. But what are they paying Felino? It's like three million or something like that. Um, it's like you shouldn't you would think or you would hope that you have the internal options to where you maybe don't have to do those deals and if you are paying guys you know nine and a half million for McAvoy 10 to 12 million for Pasternak whatever Swayman might command one day um, then you have to be able to fill in the extra piece of your roster with guys that won't cost you much but are still effective players otherwise you become the San Jose Sharks, basically. You don't want to do that. You don't want to do that. No, that, that is a uniquely frustrating group of boys. Um, any other thoughts before we uh, wrap it up from our, our one-game breakdown here? No. No. Okay. I, I do actually have one more thing to share. So this was uh, this is more anecdotal because we've been talking about, oh, you know, no knee-jerk reactions. It's all one game. Um, and Mike, you taking your victory lap on uh, the goalie situation so far has me thinking about the fact that I texted you the other night. And, uh, you know, you, who did you pick again to win the Stanley Cup this year? The Islanders. The Islanders, that's correct. Yeah. Um, I picked the Florida Panthers. Okay. And Panthers in the first game just mollywopped the Islanders five to one. Um, and I texted you and you ridiculed me for spiking the football before Halloween. Uh, but I just want to say we're not all that uh, not all that dissimilar, Mike. We're more similar yeah. than we are different. Have you ever heard of apples and oranges? Because that is hold on. What are doing here? No, because... that's, that's it's relatively similar. They might be. It's like a gala apple versus a, a, a red delicious. No, because no, because there's there's so much hockey left to be played. Whereas my point from the beginning was it feels like you have a legitimate number one starter in Swayman and starting him on opening night sure seems to indicate that you kind of at least feel that way. 
So yeah. that's why I took my victory lap. Yeah, and I think you have two very good teams in the Islanders and Panthers, and you saw on the first night that they played each other. The, the Panthers have a decided edge. Uh, When's the parade? Season. When's the parade? Yeah. Uh, Will anyone show up? They had 8,000 people. Right? Goddamn game. What? I said it'd probably be late June, right? Oh, I thought we were going to have one this weekend. Because I get annoyed with this because people are like, oh, well, you can't make any like sweeping judgments or whatever. It's like, so we have to hold off any opinion or belief or reaction or anything until freaking mid-June. No shot. The problem with you is you have no nuance. Like I have plenty of nuance. No, because I, you could sit here and be like, wow, that was a, the you know, the, the Panthers did this really well against the Islanders on Saturday night and they looked good. And that's that, but you think it's just like, well, geez, you know, they might as well start finding a spot in the rafters for the, the banner already. You're saying a lot about how I feel without asking me how I feel. If you, if you would like me to insert the necessary caveat that yes, it is late October, mid October. And I don't think that because the Florida Panthers won a game on October 15th or whenever it was that they are without question going to just bushwhack the Islanders in the postseason and route to a Stanley Cup final. You think that, they're cross-checking the I will put in there. You think they're cross-checking the Panthers roster with like the the etchings and the, the for to put their names in the cup right now already and making Probably. sure they, they're, they're figuring out where they can get uh where they can spell out Nudavara on there. Yeah, exactly. They're they're already budgeting for space. Yeah, exactly. I mean, why play the rest of the season, honestly? Um, How about the Canadiens, by the way? I'll dump on Montreal any chance I get. They suck. They're bad. That, they that should is... not have fired Claude Julian. Go figure. <laughs> that That is a, a broken team. Um, yeah. Which was one you could kind of see from a mile away. Yeah. Um, but it's early. They can turn it around. Um, I'm just looking through the standings. Like, the Maple Leafs are already at the all-star break. So that's good for them. Uh, the Rangers have hit their halfway mark and then the Bruins will play their second game. And- you want to talk about stupid roster building. How about the Rangers? Did you see the tweet the other day where they were bragging about like block shots or something like that? Because it was so bad. Was so bad. That, that team had everything going the right way for them. And then they decided they were just going to hitch their wagon to a overpaid Barkley Goodrow and then Ryan that, that team's going to go in such the wrong direction. No, they get the Jack Adams front runner. That's right. Jerk a lot. Yeah. But tough scene for you. Not, not a great start. I guess I, I had, I had the Blackhawks. I had Jeremy Colladin for my Jack Adams and the Blackhawks. Yeah. How's that looking? <laughs> that stinks. And Flurry's getting pulled and Seth Jones is bad. And so I'll, I'll take my victory lap for Bruce Cassidy now. Yeah. Lauren's coach has gone a thousand so far. <laughs> Did. Did I black out or something? I thought I saw a story the other day already talking about replacements for Colleton. Really? I, that's, that's possible. That's that, tough it, it has been an impossibly bad start for them. Tortorella in Chicago or something? Yeah. Now, that would be fun. That would be, yeah. <laughs> Seth Jones finally gets out of Columbus. <laughs> Seth Jones gets fired a week into the season. Um yeah, I just Googled Jeremy Collin two days ago. 
<laughs> Jeremy Collin backed by Patrick Kane as Blackhawks near crisis. So we're already at the star player has to back the head coach portion of the season. That is next to a headline from a day ago that says uh, Jeremy Collin might have lost the Blackhawks fan base, but he hasn't lost the room. It's like, well, the fact that we're even considering he may have lost the room is, is not great. So, yeah. yeah. When you have headlines talking about needing to turn things around week one into the season <laughs> of yeah. an 82 game schedule, it's not going to go well. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like this is not totally unusual that we could, uh, somebody could fall their way into the Jack Adams after a bad start. Honestly, this helps guys' cases. Sometimes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so that's, there's a spin zone for you. Um, all right. <laughs> Before we lead ourselves astray any further, do you have any other thoughts? No. No. Sounds good. I'm going to go take some Allegra. And uh, we will reconvene this time next week. But this has been the Ness and Bruins podcast. Uh, I'm Logan. That's Lauren and Mike. We'll see you guys next week. So until next time. Goodbye.